Hey everyone, we hope you're having a great week. My name is Eric Johnson, and along with my wife Candace, we are the lead pastors of Studio. We are based in Greenville, South Carolina, and we just want to take a moment and say hello and say thanks for listening to this podcast. So with that, let's get right to it. I am going to kind of talk to us tonight a little bit about one of our foundational pillars. Before I do, I'm going to tell you a little story about me. Uh, Reva called me Tanasha LaRae Williams. If you find me online, you're probably not going to find a Williams next to that. That's my real name. So when I was Tanasha LaRae Williams <laughs> back in the day, I actually used to want to be a dentist. Do I have anybody in here that like teeth? Anybody like teeth as much as me? You, look, I already saw a smile right over here, so I know y'all like teeth, okay? Teeth are incredible. I don't know why, but from a young age, I was obsessed, especially when the, when the uh, dental hygienist would visit your class, and they'd bring you, like, those little red pills. Anybody ever experienced that? Like, little red pill in class? Adam, why are you shaking your head? This was, like, such an incredible monumental moment in my childhood. They would bring these little red pills, and they'd go, okay, we're going to measure how much plaque you have. And I'm like, what's plaque? And they're like, oh, it's all that stuff on your teeth, especially when you don't brush them. And I'm like, oh, I love brushing my teeth. You're not going to find the plaque on my teeth. So we're taking a little pill, and I'm chewing, and I'm chewing, and I'm chewing, and I'm chewing. And then everybody go, has to smile real big. And let me tell you, some of these kids' mouths, oh, my Lord, as red as them shoes right there. Hold up your shoes, Josh, as red as them shoes. And I would wear my little badge of pride because I had, like, red in the corners, you know. But the rest of it was white. I just loved teeth growing up. And it made a mark on me to see how they could make all that red wash away. Now, this is where you would insert, you know, kind of one of those extra Christianese type moments where you compare it to the blood of Jesus, right? We're not going to do that, but that's where it would happen. So, <laughs> but this is what, what marked me. I wanted to be a dentist. And I love just that aspect of people's mouths being able to be fresh and clean and beautiful smiles. And I was planning my life to be a dentist. I mean, I was that achiever who was like, okay, in order for me to get through all of the school that is required for dentistry, because I didn't want to be there that long, I said, I've got to make sure I maximize every single AP class while I'm in high school, every single um, concurrent enrollment college course I can take while I'm in high school. And my sophomore year of high school, there actually was a tension point. Because on the side, I would do drama. Everybody say, uh-oh because most of y'all know me today to be dramatic, so this is, where, this is where it hit me. I would do drama. Drama is this acting class where you go up and tell these stories, right? Become characters. And it was just a side thing for me. Just a nice little way to kind of, you know, express myself. But I was going to be this dentist. And so one year, uh, my pre-AP calculus class that was gonna have me on course to be in AP Calculus AB by my junior year and AP Calculus BC by my senior year was the same time as advanced drama. And there was only one advanced drama class, and so I'm stuck having to make a decision. And you know what I decided? Goodbye, drama, I need to take my pre-AP calculus class. My teacher was not happy with me. I tried the following year after I did not take drama to get back into her class, and she would not let me. I know, I was like, come on. And, and we ended up making an agreement that if I did this one-act play, she would let me back into the class. And so I pull out my planner and I'm like, okay, let me see. Because at that point, I was a cheer captain, a cheer coach to inner city middle school kids. I was a class president, cheer, it was too much, it was too much. And I'm like, but there's a window. Maybe I could do this. And so I did it. I did this one act play, but I did not realize that God had something set up for me. 
while I was on stage. Now, I'm not going to even tell you the name of the play because I have no clue to this day why high schoolers were telling this story about four women in a liposuction clinic, one needing to like cut the fat away. I'm just like, why are we telling this story? But we were, and it was in the past, and it is it's there now. But I'm telling this part of the story where my character had the most morbid experience. At one point, she had set herself on fire trying to burn the fat away just trauma in, in her story. And I'm in the middle of telling this monologue of this particular part, and fire is exactly what I began to feel. I'm like, this is really strange, I'm getting really hot. But at the same time, I was getting chills, I was feeling really cold. And I'm looking around the entire room and people are like not moving. And I just knew, I didn't have language for it, but I'm like, what is happening? Is this one of those God moments? And it was. Literally everything was frozen, but in everything inside of me was spinning so quickly. And I thought this little thought to myself, oh my gosh, these people are like really waiting for me to tell this story. I heard this little voice into my head for the first time in my life, me not controlling it. And it said, yes, they are waiting for you to tell stories. It slapped me upside my head. I was like, what am I gonna tell my parents? Cause that's the first issue is like, <laughs> You mean to tell me, God, you want me to be an artist? You need to go talk to Nathan and Tina Williams about who's gonna pay my rent? Because <laughs> there's stigmas around that. But I knew at that moment my life was changed. My mom would always say, that was also a moment where she noticed I got a little bit more cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> a little bit more crazy, because freedom came into my life as I started storytelling, as I started embracing expression and creativity. Oh, I accessed my creative side. Where are my creatives at in the room? Ooh, y'all looking good. Uh, that was actually a trick question. Because everybody's hands should have been up. I became more free because I accessed the arts, but God was trying to show me I was a creative being all along. Creativity is not just exclusively in the arts. Creativity is inside of every single created being because we are made in the image of the creator. So I asked you a trick question. I kind of set you up for that. But that's what I want to talk about today. Creativity. And it's one of our pillars here at Studio to walk in that fiercely, unashamedly, 1,000% every which way you slice us, you're gonna get God's nature. You're going to get created beings being creative. Now, in my own journey, I thought that that was just exclusively to the arts, but God showed me how every single season of my life, I was being creative. Every single season. I mean, if you think about yourself today, you woke up today and you've already had conversations that you were not thinking about before you woke up today. You created sentences to have that communication. Some of y'all probably already put out some angry tweets this morning or Instagram posts. You created social media posts today. Some of you felt that your children were hungry and so you created meals today to fill their bellies. We are creative beings and it's important that we understand this, that we understand that we are all creative. Some of us just happen to be artists, but we are all creative. Genesis 1 verse 27 says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In his own image. See, God is a God of many attributes. When you think about God, just, I want to hear some sounds in the room. Popcorn yell out. When you think about God's attributes, what attributes do you think about? 
holy, love, just, powerful. Somebody says something over here. Creator, yes. Hope, kind, yes. Two more. Just. Somebody says something over here. Faithful, yes. There is multiple attributes. Here's the beautiful thing. Because they exist in him, they exist in you. When we look at God, looking at his face, it lets you know what your face looks like. Looking at his nature, it lets you know what your nature is like. Now, when we look at the world, the world has a different idea about identity. The world is like, I am what I feel, right? So I feel like this today, therefore I am that. Or I'm thinking this today, therefore I am that. But in the kingdom, our I amness does not come from our feelings. Our I amness does not come from our thoughts. Our feelings and our thoughts get to submit, surrender, come underneath the reality of what our creator says we are. We get to look up at him and see exactly who he is and know that's inside of us. The holiness of God or the wholeness of God is the journey that we're on to get back to that wholeness, but we must first understand that we look like him. If you don't believe that you are, if you, if you don't believe that you're a creative, then you'll never steward creativity. It's important that we know he's creator, we are created, but he was specific in how he created. He, especially when he created his prized creation, which is humanity. He could have made anything else in his image, but he didn't. He was specific when he made human flesh to carry his breath, his spirit, his likeness, his love, his nature, his attributes, his kingdom. When we understand that, receive that, choose that, yield to that, believe that, walk in agreement with that, hello somebody, we also walk in creativity. Because if he is creator, then I am creative. Some of, some of y'all are like, well, what, what, what am I supposed to create then? Because many of us have been walking around for a long time thinking we're not creative. And God's gonna break that off today in the name of Jesus. There is a power that is accessed through creativity. Resurrection power is accessed through creativity. And if we don't believe that we're creative, we'll never access that power. I wanna read Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. Because this is, this is a, a breakdown, poetic breakdown, of how it's always been like this, okay? Because we have to understand, we, we are in a kingdom. So to, to describe God's kingdom, it is his attributes, his will, his purposes, his way, ruling over a territory. The territory is all of creation. Everything that he designed and created, right? All of it. Now, there is friction in, the, in, 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 the, in creation right now. Because what we have not done is we have not fully gotten back to the, the return to the full picture that God originally intended, okay? But everything from the very beginning was considering that from jump. He knew Adam and Eve would go off and do what they was gonna do. He knew he would cry tears in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew he would be hung up on a cross. 
making a mark in time to say this is the moment. But that moment was crafted before all of the cosmos was even created. So that moment, before all the cosmos was created, before you were created, it was all wrapped up in the idea from then that we would be creative. And all of the kingdom is woven through Christ. So all of our creative energy is connected to Christ, connected to his kingdom. This is why it's important that we must understand we're creative because if we don't, we won't even steward the kingdom coming because it's all connected to the kingdom coming through his chosen ones. He chose humanity to be the one to carry his breath, carry his spirit, carry his nature, and as a byproduct, carry his kingdom. And it is expressed through creativity. Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20 says this, he, meaning Christ, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. That's us, y'all. Come on. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. When we see Christ rightly, who was fully God and fully man, we're able to see ourselves rightly. It's important that we get that. It's important that we yield our identity to what the creator is reflecting to us. Because if we're not careful, we'll walk around and say, I'm ugly. And then you'll actually begin to believe it. And then you'll actually begin to put your behaviors in alignment with that particular belief because scripture says, how can two walk together lest they agree? So what you, walk, what you agree with, you begin to walk out. It begins to show up or manifest in your life. Manifestation is really huge right now in the world. Y'all, y'all been seeing the, the, the cute little quotes and stuff? Uh, what I've been noticing about a lot of um, spirituality, those that may not subscribe to the divine, to Christ, to God, but they have been figuring out his ways. They just don't assign it or ascribe it to a creator, a designer. Many of them have been able to crack a code. They have been able to declare something, speak something, agree with something, walk it out, and it manifests in their lives. Some people would go, oh, that's just witchcraft and put that, so actually, They're tapping into kingdom principles. They just don't know the king. They just don't know the king. They're tapping into something that is powerful. It's the power of agreement. They're agreeing with specific things. Because here's the thing about the king. He's just. He's true. He, he, He is not a man that he would lie. So when he creates something, it becomes law. When he speaks something, it becomes it becomes in existence and it is law. He will not go back on it. Look at the law of gravity. He doesn't care whether you believe in him or not. That law is going to work for you. Right? As long as you walk in agreement with it. If you start jumping off of rooftops, I don't know about all that. But if you are walking in agreement with the law of gravity, it is going to work for you. 
It's a principle of the kingdom. It is a part of what the designer has designed. What I want to see in the body of Christ is for us to not just know his laws, but to agree and walk with his nature in how he's created us. Because many of us are walking around, because we don't believe that we're creatives, and we don't actually create. Or when we create, we create from a powerlessness. We, we create from a, a space of needing val uh, someone to validate us, someone to give us significance. But when I'm gazing upon the face of the one who's loved me, the one who created me directly from love and him as creator breathing into me, when I create, I create from significance. I create from oneness, not for it. I create from belonging, not for it. I create from this place of, no, this is kingdom come, not please love me through my creativity. There's a power that I believe the Lord wants the body of Christ to tap into. And the second we start believing this about who we are, it is game on. It is game on. I get excited because this is some of the stuff I go to bed dreaming at night. So when we see Christ rightly, we see ourselves rightly. When we see ourselves rightly, we're able to steward what he's given us rightly. I'm going to say that again. When we see him rightly, we see ourselves rightly. When we see ourselves rightly, what he's given us, we can steward rightly. If God made me a vacuum cleaner, <laughs> it would really suck to put me in a corner <laughs> and to put a little jacket on top of me and go, oh my gosh, you're such a cute coat rack. And then be mad as you're kicking dust walking from the shower to your bed. Just mad because you got dirt on the bottom of your feet. Y'all, this was me this week. I said to Nasha, this is a shame. You should have vacuumed this floor. I'm putting lotion on my feet. I got all kinds of crumbly stuff. I said, this is just disrespectful to myself. <laughs> should have brought out my vacuum cleaner. One of my favorite quotes is by Dr. Miles Monroe, a Bahamian pastor. Uh, passed away several years ago, but my goodness, a legacy he left us in an understanding of the kingdom. He said this, if you don't know the purpose of a thing, abuse is inevitable. It's inevitable. If we don't understand our purpose as creatives, abuse is inevitable. We won't access the power that's already been formed for us to have. And I'm not talking about a worldly power that wants to wield weapons of, of warfare from this earth to create empires on this planet. No, I'm talking about power that also exists in a seed, that when you put it in soil, it births something so beautiful that will feed generations upon generations upon generations. We're not talking about power that controls, we're talking about power that reconciles power that returns all things back to God's original plan that is sitting inside of us and inside of the materials that he's given us. But the first access point is through our belief. I must believe that I am a creative. I must believe that because he is creator, I am a creative. I've mentioned this concept before. It's the concept of God code. God code is my poor language for trying to describe 
an equation of God. He is not some mathematical equation that we could really ever crack, but he does leave evidence. <laughs> he does leave his fingerprints. He does leave this trail behind for us to be able to discover. He hides things for us to be able to discover. And when I'm looking through Genesis, I notice this pattern of how God designed things. He designed from a pattern of connection. Everything. When he first created, these, this is what I would call the God code. It's five points of connection that I recognized when God first said, let there be, and humans also came into existence. The first connect point that I see from looking at Adam and Eve's life, especially understanding our place in creation as humans, what, what's in it for us, God? What was your idea that I must steward? Well, the first point of connection is connection to him. Everything was made in him, through him, for him. There, it was all one. Could you imagine? Sometimes I literally try to use my imagination to, to think up what it would be like to just have all of it in complete wholeness. That when I walk out, that the cracks on the ground, even as I step out, they just go, sorry, we won't be a crack anymore. We don't want you to trip. We do wholeness here. Like, I just, I'm curious what it all looked like when Adam and Eve were like, God's walking in the cool of the deep. What up? It's good to see you today, Christ. I mean, what would that have been like, right? That was the first point of connection, just direct connection to God. He's woven in all of it. Second point of connection is connection to each other. Like, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. Mankind should be alone. And so here he makes an Eve. And then all of a sudden you have a couple that could create community. And it's important that it be spirit to spirit as well as spirit to spirit connection. It's the second point of connection. Third point of connection is this thing called our identity. That we would be rightly connected with ourselves. Jesus modeled this. Oh, he, the amount of breaks he took from the disciples, I knew. I said, oh, I can tell. This man knew he needed some alone time. He had to steward that internal connection with himself and with the Father. One of my favorite parts in Scripture, I was like, I was talking with my dad about this. My dad is a minister, and, and man, he discipled me all, all these years of my life. And, and I said, Dad, I think there's a point in Scripture where, where Jesus kind of cussed. I, I, I really think there is a, a point. Now, they didn't translate it to our language today, but he, he was using some choice, sassy words. When the disciples could not cast out legion, y'all know what Jesus said to them? He looked at them and he said, how long must I be among you? I said, oh my gosh. He literally said, get out of my presence. I'm sick of you. I'm sick of all of you. But in his Jesus's way, right? His little Jesus-y way. But Jesus would connect with himself. And he would, and it, it wasn't just a connection with himself for like cosmetic purposes. It was a deep understanding of the will of the Father for his life, who he was, what his Father's intention was for his expression in human skin. There is this connection with ourselves because how else will you love your neighbor if you don't love yourself? We're to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So loving yourself will be the rubric for how you love your neighbors. That's for somebody. I felt the Lord saying, start loving yourself. You have permission to take a break. You have permission to leave that job. You have permission to pause that relationship. You have permission to advocate for yourself. You have permission to put up some boundaries. 
many of us have actually been choosing to do toxic things towards ourselves in the name of a false love. And that breaks in the name of Jesus. So there's that third point of connection, connection with our true identity in him. Fourth point of connection is connection with creation itself. Like there is a work that God put Adam and Eve towards. He said, you need to go, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, and have dominion. And that's not just go and fill the earth with a bunch of children. The earth at that point was void. The animals had not been named. Water had not been brought down to even increase vegetation. He wanted to make sure, this is another Miles Monroe quote, that there was a man to manage the earth. So there's connection with the cosmos. This is why it's important that we take care of the organism that is the earth, because the earth is living. The earth is a part of God's creation. And the last point of connection is a connection with eternity. Now, I'm going to be honest. That's a mystery to me that I don't think I'm ever really going to understand until I get to the fullness of eternity myself. But there was a connection with eternity that they had. It was all one. It wasn't this thing of chasing time that we're experiencing right now. Death did not exist. The the moment death enters into the, the picture, time enters into the picture because now something can end. But in that place, nothing ended. It just goes on and on because it was all made in the image of God, everlasting to everlasting to everlasting is the God code. And when you look at the God code at work right now through us in a world that does not know what everlasting to everlasting to everlasting looks like, it is this word that we used for our Easter production. It's return. Everything is returning right now to that picture. We get to be a part of that return or reconciliation. I want to read where Apostle Paul would talk about the ministry of reconciliation Apostle Paul, my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for his words and his voice uh, in the, as one of the fathers of the faith because, number one, that man was just an incredible communicator, okay? He could make that thing plain. But at the same time, he was this incredible picture of God's grace. So if many of you all don't know about Apostle Paul before he came to know Jesus, he was somebody that was actually killing Jesus-knowers, killing Jesus believers. He was persecuting them to a degree where they literally lost their lives and then bam, God hits him and, and Christ appears to him in three days he's blind and then all of a sudden he's, his eyes are opened in the physical but also in the spirit. I've been wrong this whole time. And when you read his letters, uh, he wrote many letters to, the, to many churches, many of the early churches. Uh, he was trying to help bring shape and form and, and understanding. And, and it made no sense that he had such crazy wisdom because he never walked with Jesus himself. He was not one of those like a, a disciples of Jesus um, while Jesus was living, breathing, walking on the earth before he ascended. He was encountered by Jesus and the revelation, the wisdom of Jesus smacked him and he was able to articulate these things. This is some of the stuff he was able to articulate about the return, about the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Come on. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
Turn to your neighbor and say, ooh, God trusts us. I, I like the ooh over here. That was, that was pretty good. That was a good ooh. Yes. Isn't that in- remarkable? He knew that we would be flawless or, or flaw-filled, crazy human beings, and he still entrusted this message of reconciliation to us. I, I'd like to think it's because he knew we would figure it out that we're made in his image, and we too would return. I'm going to keep reading here, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What I want to emphasize in this passage is we are the new creation creating. It's not, it's not just any creative that's creating. It's the new creation that's creating. So there's a difference. Because what we're going to run into in the world is you're going to start seeing the fingerprint of God on everyone, even people who don't know God yet. Right? But there's something different about the new creation that's creating. There's something magical about it. It's got the magical dust on it, the reconciliation dust on it, the return dust on it. And when we, when we think about what God is trying to do, it's not just about us having a good, happy, cushiony life. It's about getting all of these things reconciled back to the Father. And we get to use creativity to do that. I want to shift gears into talking about this idea of darkness. Because when we start talking about creativity and we start talking about the world and we start talking about going into the world to create, we're gonna come up against some forces, right? It's just, it's just, it just is what it is. We're gonna come up against some forces. Christ said, I was hated, you gonna be hated. Suffering is a part of the gospel. Our goal should not be to try to have a suffering-less gospel. If we do that, we'll end up forfeiting encounters with the comforter because we made our own versions of comfort. But we're gonna run up against some stuff, right? But there's this idea about darkness though that I want us to shift our thinking about. Because if, if we're not careful, we'll go in as creative beings with a boogeyman complex. Not all darkness is evil. It's, it's controversial, I know. But not all darkness is evil. There was darkness in Genesis. The definition of darkness means partial or full absence of light. Doesn't mean evil. What happens when a room is completely black and you turn the light switch on? Did evil show up? (laughs) No, darkness flees the room. When I look around at darkness today, I think more about voids than I do about evil. See, voids existed in Genesis. It says in Genesis 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. I'd like to propose to us, we don't have a darkness problem in the world. We have a light problem. Because when you turn on the light switch, darkness flees. So if darkness exists, where the light switch? If darkness is wreaking havoc, where's the light switch? I sometimes think about darkness saying, oh, since light won't fill this, or excuse me, let me back it up. I'd like to think that evil 
says, if I were to personify evil, you know what, look at this void over here. Since light won't enter the void, I'll go ahead and enter the void. Because when God saw a void, he began to hover. And then he spoke, let there be. What if we shifted our thinking about darkness to be about voids, waiting for a let there be? But a let there be connected to the kingdom, connected to the king, connected to the creator whom you look like, whom you create like, when you choose to walk in agreement with you are creative. This darkness issue that we have today, it's, it's tricky because in that void and evil starts to wreak havoc, we do feel the sting of it. We do feel the pain of it, right? We see it in our children who are confused about who they are. We, we see it in the trauma as we're, we're trying to stop wars overseas and, and culture wars here. We see it in our own lives as we're putting our families back together because there's been shrapnel of sin and all kinds of things, alcoholism and drug abuse and so many different things, right? We feel it. What do we normally do though when we sense that pain? We oftentimes judge it. We'll look at entire communities and we'll go, you're the problem. You are the one wreaking havoc. You are the evil. But what did Christ do when he saw these various people groups that looked like sinners, like tax collectors, like the lepers and the outcasts of society? He said, you look like my lost children. And he came near and he touched the ones who were untouchable. And he, he ate with the ones who you should not have been dining with. And he came near. Why was he able to do that? Because he could see void that needed to be filled with love. If we shift our thinking to void versus evil. Now, I'm not saying that we don't recognize evil. There's a whole bunch of wisdom and understanding about recognizing the, the true enemy. But I think sometimes we make false enemies because we have a boogeyman complex when we should be moving in creative power to bring love. To bring love through your, your homeschool ideas that you can pass around to your entire community. To bring love through a meal train that you could create for the impoverished on your corner. Love, instead of judging folks for being on government assistance. What could a creative force look like moving into that void? Because wherever God hovers, he speaks. He creates, and power comes, and life comes that's connected to everlasting life, to everlasting life, to everlasting life. So the question that we should be asking is, where is God hovering? Because wherever he's hovering, he's creating. And we've been entrusted with his work, the ministry of reconciliation, so wherever he's hovering, I wanna be hovering. I wanna be reconciling, returning, using creative power. One of my favorite Scriptures is Romans 8, 19 through 22. I'm going to read this for us. <laughs> for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Sons here meaning the children. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the points of childbirth until now. 
This is Paul again writing to the church of Rome. Try to knock some identity in them. Hey, creation's waiting for you to be revealed. The children of God to be revealed. When I think about the word revelation, it, it, it means to uncover. It means to show that which was hidden. What does light do? It uncovers. It shows that which was hidden. When we, as God's created creatives, allow ourselves to be the revealed sons and daughters of God, creation stops groaning. Because creation literally is groaning for the children of God to be revealed. Now this is where I always look at this, I'm like, this is crazy, God. You are such an interesting being that you would share this with us. Because if, if I had it my way, I wouldn't be sharing nothing with these humans. <gasps> Just playing, I'll, I'll operate in the love of Christ. <laughs> This part in verse 21, it always wrecks me. It says that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It doesn't say that creation is going to obtain the freedom of the glory of God. It says that creation is going to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Why? Because God always goes the way of the breach. Humanity created this, this infraction, this breach, this gap in the wall. So God said, through humanity, I will restore it. God sent his son Jesus, who became human, became flesh, to walk out what it looks like to be creator and created, that we would understand what it looks like to look like him, emulate him, live like him, flow like him, create like him, so that creation can be set free. We are also a part of creation, being created, but there's a freedom connected to this, a freedom that goes beyond you, a freedom for you and for your generations, a freedom for you and for all of the cosmos. It's a mystery, so it's kind of hard to wrap our mind around. I'd probably have to go into a part two, but I just have to emphasize there is a revealing when you operate in that creative power. The aches and groans of creation begin to cease. What if we looked at some of the pain with bullying as a groan waiting for you to be revealed? What if we looked at some of the issues with, with outs, uh, the, the communities that are placed to the outside? What if we saw that as a groaning waiting for you to be revealed? What if we saw issues at schools with, with shootings, all of these shootings, and we got out of the culture war with it and we said, God, how can we be revealed in the groan? I want us to shift our eyes to look at the groans and get creative. The funny thing about the brain is it can't do two things at once. I used to think I was a multitasker. Anybody with me in the room? Then I started reading about science. I said, oh, it's humanly impossible, actually. We just got really good at switching very quickly in our, in our sensories, in our brains, like flip, 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 flip. Only thing is that can make you really tired. You burn a lot of calories, actually, in your brain when you do that. You get brain fog, you get brain fatigue, because there's something about sustained attention that is powerful and designed by God. And when there's sustained attention on criticism, you can't create. When there's sustained attention on judgment and condemnation, you can't create. When there's sustained criticism on who we think the boogeyman is in our generation, you can't create. We cannot multitask between creativity and criticism. We're gonna have to give up one. I would like us to give up the criticism. 
and to pick up the creativity because we were not made in the image of a critic. We were made in the image of a creator. Now there are some scholarly uh, studies about constructive critique and the power of critique that can boost creativity. But I noticed the difference between critique is those that have an angle of love, and a posture of I wanna better this. That's a different kind. That's not criticism. That's like a constructive critique that's going to edify or build up like an edifice. I'm like, ooh, it kind of has a little bit of that, that God code to it, a return element to it. That's what we need to be operating in, a, a heart posture that is ready to create, ready to get in the, in, the, in the trenches and in the midst of the tension so that we can be repairers of the breach. Yeah. Isaiah 51 verse 12 actually calls us that. It says, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Crazy cool thing about a breach. Breach, it's, it's like referred to as a gap in a wall or kind of like even a defensive thing that was put in place to protect a specific area. We, we, we actually talk about breaches a lot when there are floods. Like the water breached the bank, right? Uh, down in like New Orleans, they have issues like this all the time with the levees breaking and it, and it creating a breach and it flooding the city. Where we have seen evil flood the land, who is the repairer of that breach? We are. We're here to help heal it, restore it, clean it up, and then repair the breach that it would not flow into the cities anymore. God is a God who hovers over the voids. God is a creator who has made us in the image of the creator, in his own image. And I think it's gonna be powerful when we shift from criticism to creativity. I'm gonna close with this story. I love black history. Those of you that know me know I'm always talking about it because one of the breaches I wanna see repaired is this, this breach between the ethnos, between humanity because that God code, he, he originally connected us to be connected one to another. So from his original design, we gotta heal that up. And I love this point in, in this story. It's also empowering to me as a woman to see uh, the, the actions of women during the civil rights movement. This woman named Joanne Robinson, she led the Women's Political Council in Montgomery, Alabama. She was a fierce woman, very strategic. Uh, she was the president of that council at the time. And there had been so many, uh, this was like the 1950s, and there had been so many different issues with segregation at that time and mistreatment of people, specifically um, in busing. And they decided what we should do is we should strategize. We should create an idea that could put a pinch in that area where we could see freedom and equality and, and human dignity restored to those that have been mistreated on busing. Because at that time, if you were a person of color, you had to go to the back of the bus. It didn't matter if you'd been walking for six miles and, and you were a woman, if a elderly white man came on, you had to move to the back of the bus. And if there were no more seats available, you had to stand. And, and it, it did not matter, it was, it was all about color of skin at that time and it was a dark time in our nation and we're still healing the, the fragments of that today. But it was really dark in that day. So they, they had this creative idea. What if we lead a boycott? And we, we look for a specific moment where somebody refuses to get off the bus and we use that moment to shift everything. Well, there was a woman in December of 1955, 
She was a leader in the NAACP at that time. It stands for National Advancement, um, a National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. It was an organization that was helping to repair breaches in that area. And she was just well known and well respected by the, the, the Montgomery community. And she was tired that day and she said, I'm not getting up. Someone came in and said, well, you're gonna have to move. It was the, uh, the, the driver of the bus, you're gonna have to move, it's the law. I'm not getting up. Well, she was arrested. News gets around. The Women's Political Council hears of this event. They're like, this could be our spark moment. Let's do something about this. They stayed up late at night making flyers. Now listen, technology was not like technology is today, okay? They had to put some ink on that thing and go, stamp, there's one. <laughs> Where we're just like, print, I'll be back in five minutes after I get my latte, right? No. They made thousands of flyers, word of mouth, passed around to everyone in the African-American community, and they said, do not get on the bus tomorrow. We are boycotting the busing system. We're going to hit them in their pockets where it hurts, and we are, going to demand, we are going to demand human dignity. They went out the next day trying to see, did it work? Over 90% of people did not get on the buses. They're like, this is something, something's happening. But how do we now steward this? What did they do? They met in the basement of a local reverend. He had been there only for a few months, so he was the new kid on the block. His name was Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. They meet in his basement, and they, they meet with several other leaders, and they go, how can we sustain what's happening? Because it's not going to be enough to just have one moment. We need momentum that could create a movement. Little did they know they were sparking the civil rights movement that actually makes it possible for us to be in this room together, that makes it possible for, for me to look at my black sister here, my white sister here, my white brother here, and to actually say we're in brotherhood in this room. They did not realize that a creative strategy of leaflets, of finding the right person at the right time could spark an entire movement. When it did spark, and they looked over at Dr. King, they're like, there's something special about your life. There's something special about your words. Why don't you be president of an organization that we start? And I'd like to just say the rest really is history. You don't realize what's on the other side of the creative power that you're carrying. They had no clue that a moment of strategy that actually happened almost a year prior, would turn into a catalytic moment that would change the course of history through nonviolent activism. The United States Constitution changed three times without war in four years. The power of creativity that can move from us, move through us, because we're made in his image. We all have this force inside of us, and we all have what I would call, and what Eric says a whole lot, the materials of our lives. This is, the, this is what we create with, the materials of our lives. Some of you, it will be a paintbrush. Some of you, it will be food. Some of you, it will be the app that you create. It will be elements of how you use your brain. It will be how you move on your feet. You will, some of you are gonna create cures in this room. Some of you are gonna create techn technological breakthroughs in this room. When we understand that we are creative, we don't relegate it over here to the side to just this little group. We stand in the truth of who we are and we, we walk in what Christ trusts us with, the ministry of reconciliation. Not just in an old school preach. Let me go on to the street corners and be like, turn or burn. No, let me come near you and actually creatively touch you. 
so that when I'm near you, you know the creator's near you. When I'm near you, you feel a relational God near you because I'm made in the image of a relational God. You were made in the image of a creator. Please stand for me. I mentioned Dr. King and one of his quotes <laughs> that goes around every year. But I want us to think about this quote now from a place of creativity and a place of entering into voids. He says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. We are to be his creative light moving around this earth, reconnecting all of creation back to the Father. So let's participate in the work of creativity. Let's participate in his plans to reconcile it all to himself. And I'm gonna ask the question again, where are my creatives at? Oh, hey, 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 yes. That's what I'm talking about. Let me bless us. God, I thank you that you have really good ideas, better ideas than we could ever think of. And the idea you thought up was to make us in your image. And Father, we bless that. We agree with that. And I ask God for divine understanding about what you have placed on the inside of each and every single one of us. And I bless the hearts of every single creative being in this room and even listening, that they would know who they are from the image of God that they would find that creative power, and that any lie that has been spoken against them about creativity, it would break off right now in the name of Jesus, that they would feel the wholeness of God's truth come, and the permission that comes with that, to walk as a fierce creative force of light, entering into darkness, filling voids with love. And we ask God that you'd give us wisdom for this day, that you'd teach us, God, how to navigate with true weapons of warfare, how to navigate with hearts postured, God, that look like you, that feel like you, that we would ultimately be conduits of your kingdom coming. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope this talk benefits you in every way possible. For more information about Studio, you can go to studiogreenville.com or go to Instagram and look for studio.greenville. We would also love it if you would leave a review and hit those five stars. Other than that, have a great week and we'll see you soon.